Genesis 42 is on page 32. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others, because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognised them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognised his brothers, they did not recognise him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies. And this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your, unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realise that Joseph could understand them because he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep. But then he turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. 
At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, The man who is lord over the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We were twelve brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is lord over the land said to us, This is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me so I will know that you are not spies but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin? Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, You may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my grey head down to the grave in sorrow. Well, let's pray, shall we? Father, we want to just thank you now for the sword of the Spirit, which is uh, the living word of God. Father, we thank you that uh, your word uh, informs our minds and penetrates our hearts and transforms our lives. We pray that uh, uh, the spirit and the word would do their work amongst us today and uh, with our children as well. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Some years ago, we had a church trivia night. Can you see that? Uh, it was a uh, trivia night in order to raise money to support our missionaries in the Middle East, Perry and Karen Shaw. And so we made it a fancy dress trivia night, inviting people to dress, dress in Middle Eastern gear, uh, just like these two characters on the screen, and I think there's a photo in your sheets as well. Uh, obviously, on the one side, we have an Arab sheik, And on the other side, we've got an Orthodox Jew. But uh, what is it like when you're a member of the church and you go to a church function and you find that people don't recognise who you are? Well, one of those fellows, the fellow on the right, said later on that uh, that night he did have some conversations with people who were his friends Uh, but it was apparent by their hesitancy in what they were saying to him that they didn't know who he was. Uh, In fact, 
at the end of the night, there were two congregation members were having a conversation and one of them said, it's been a great night, hasn't it? It's just a shame that, that Scott didn't come. And yet, she was a good friend. And during that night, I had spent at least 10 minutes talking with her. 10 minutes! But uh, decked out in my authentic uh, Arabian uh, gear, uh, uh, borrowed from Perry Shaw, and uh, hiding behind my sonnies and my fake beard, uh, this friend of mine actually had no idea who I was. And that was fun, actually. <laughs> I enjoyed not letting on because, well, anyway, I'll say more about that later. Now, I want you to think about another man, a man by the name of Zaphonath Paneah. Now, he's the governor of Egypt nearly 3,900 years ago. He's a very powerful man who, in a time of severe drought and famine, actually had access to a whole load of, of grain, which he was able to sell to others. He's got an Egyptian name. He wears Egyptian clothes. He's got an Egyptian wife. He answers only to the pharaoh of Egypt... And so it's actually no surprise that when ten men came down from Canaan uh, hoping to buy food from Egypt, that when they met up with this man, Zaphonath Paneah, that they feel, failed to realise that he was in fact their own brother, Joseph, their own flesh and blood. Now this morning we're looking at a large slab of the book of Genesis. We're going to be looking at uh, chapters 42 through to 45 and uh, that'll mean that we can wrap up Genesis in a, uh, in a fortnight's time. And I suppose that when we read through this passage of scripture that we might sometimes think to ourselves, well, you know, when Joseph's brothers met up with Joseph, how on earth would they not have recognised their own brother? Well, you see, 13 years have passed since they sold Joseph into slavery. And now he's a different man with a very different reality. And that's why in chapter 42, if you care to have that open, in the first eight verses there, when they arrived at Memphis, which was the capital city of Egypt at the time, it's... Uh, uh, just at about 20 k's below the, the, um, the, tr the, the point in the triangle that's the beginning of the Nile Delta, when they arrived at the grain distribution centre in Memphis, they actually bowed down to this man because they didn't recognise him. Now, you might recognise that that's a bit similar to a dream that Joseph had had many years earlier that God had given him. They didn't recognise their brother, their brother, but in verse 7, Joseph certainly recognised them. I mean, they still looked like Canaanites. And being older than Joseph was over the 13 years, they hadn't changed in their appearance all that very much. And so Joseph recognised them. Now, these four chapters are not 
just about the surprise slash shock that these brothers were about to experience. These chapters also give us a feel for what this meant for Joseph. Because for him, his old life, his father and his brothers in Canaan, well, that was over. That was forgotten about. He expressed that in the names that he gave to his children, Manasseh and Ephraim. That was the old life. God had given him a new life in Egypt. But now, he is now face to face with Reuben and with Levi and with Simeon and Judah and Zebulun and Issachar and Dan and Gad and Asher and Naphtali. And at this moment, at this moment, his old life has returned. Zaphonath Paneah must now deal with the reality that he is in fact Joseph, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Now, how would you deal with that? How would you deal with a situation where, you know, you're feeling settled in the life that you've established for yourself and then someone whom you would prefer to forget about walks through the front door, someone from your past? Well, for Joseph, it was a confusion of emotions. There was, there was unsettlement and there was, there was turmoil in his heart on the one hand, but on the other hand, that was also blended with a a desire that he had in his heart, which he probably didn't recognise at the time, but he had a desire in his heart to, to reconnect with his roots, to reconnect especially with his father and with his young brother Benjamin, his full-blooded brother Benjamin. I remember having fun <coughs> talking <coughs> to that friend on the Middle Eastern trivial night because <clears throat> I did not let on who I was. And it was just interesting to watch her kind of diplomatically. You see, I was talking to her as if I was a friend. I knew everything about her. And uh, she felt embarrassed to, uh, to say to me, um, excuse me, um, who are you? <laughs> it was embar- and it was just interesting to watch her. I had fun doing that. <clears throat> Joseph didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to do. He recognised them, but he knew that they did not recognise him. And so what he did was he decided to buy himself some time in order to figure out how this was going to play out. He bought himself some time. He kept the upper hand by not telling them, by not revealing his identity And now that sets the scene. In chapter 42, Joseph uses the upper hand to his advantage. He he accuses them of being spies. He says, you're spies. You've you've come to me. You've come to Egypt because you you want to suss out the land. You want to see where our weaknesses are in our defense system. And that would have made sense because it would have been in the, in the national interest, I think they talk about these days, it would have been in the national interest of other peoples to actually uh, launch a military raid on Egypt in order to get uh, control of the stock of grain that they had possession of, a resource issue. And in fact, uh, what um, uh, 
happened in Egypt over time was that whenever they were attacked, it tended to come from the peoples who were living in Canaan to the northeast. And so he says, you're spies. But they say, no, 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 they, we, let, me t- let us tell you our story. We're from the same family. There, there used to be 12 brothers. Um, one of them is no more. Funny about that. And uh, our youngest brother, well, he's still back in Canaan with our father. Now, Joseph would love to see his younger brother. And so he says, all right then, well, here's the test. You've got to prove your story. You've got to prove your story. He says, I'll sell you some grain, but one of you must remain here with me as a hostage. I'll let the others go, but you've got to come back. And when you come back, you must bring your youngest brother, Benjamin. And that will prove your story. Now, what we see here, friends, is that the, the tables are now turned. Because it's not just Joseph trying to face the reality of his own situation. Now the brothers have to face up to their reality. Now the brothers have to face up to their past and to the deed which they once did. You see, throughout these chapters, the, the name Benjamin keeps on bubbling to the surface. It's a lot about Benjamin. Now, why is that? Why, why is it that in, in chapter 42, verse 4, that when uh, Jacob said to his sons, uh, look, you know, there's plenty of grain in Egypt, what are you guys just staring at each other for, get down there and get some grain. Why is it that he did not send Benjamin with them? Well, think about it. Benjamin was the only son of his favourite wife, Rachel. There used to be two sons of Rachel, but the last time that Jacob sent a son of Rachel off to a distant place, what happened? He didn't come back mauled by a wild beast. That was the story that the brothers gave him. And for the past 13 years, these treacherous brothers have lived with their guilt and they have lived with the grief and the suffering which they had caused for their father. And so, now the prospect of having to bring Benjamin to Egypt means that they might be doing exactly the same thing again. And so that's why they react the way that they do when they're told by Joseph to bring Benjamin to Egypt. If you have a look at chapter 42, verse 21, it says that they said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. That's Joseph. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life you know, when they threw him down the well, that we would not listen. And that's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. And they did not realise that Joseph, who was standing right next to them, could understand them since he was using an interpreter. Imagine that. They're fessing up to the crime 
They don't realise that Joseph is who he is and they don't realise that he can speak Hebrew because he's been using an Egyptian interpreter. Have you ever wished that, uh, <clears throat> that you knew another language <clears throat> and that you're with other people who spoke that language and they didn't realise that you spoke that language? You ever thought about that? I reckon that would be a pretty handy talent for me to have when I'm with my in-laws sometimes, actually. <laughs> I've sometimes felt that. My mother-in-law doesn't speak English. Sometimes we speak English around her. But sometimes I've just been, I thought, I wonder if she knows more English than what she lets on. <laughs> be careful what you say. Be careful what you say. And Joseph understood every word that they said so that in verse 24, he turned away from them and he began to weep. He began to sob. It's just loaded with emotion, isn't it? And as they leave Egypt, without Simeon, who's been put in bondage, but with life-giving grain, as they left Egypt they then discovered that the silver which they had actually paid for the grain had somehow mysteriously appeared inside their sacks. Now we're told that Joseph had secretly arranged for that to happen. Why would he do that? Um, we're not told exactly. Some speculate that he might have done that uh, in order to make them to feel vulnerable because when they realise that they've got silver in the sack, they think that they might be charged with theft. That's a possibility. Maybe, and I guess this is the way, way I head with this one, maybe it's because in his heart, he could not take money from the household of his father. And so he's actually trying to be generous to them. But the result was that they actually did feel vulnerable. As they discovered the silver in their in their sacks, in verse 28, we're told that their hearts sank and that they trembled with fear. In verse 35, we're told that they were frightened. They were frightened because they knew what that could possibly mean for them and indeed for their brother back in bondage in Egypt. And so when they, Jacob finds out about all of this, he says, no way. You are not returning to Egypt with my youngest son, Benjamin. It's not going to happen. Have a look in chapter 42, verse 36. It says, Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin? Everything is against me. Now, why he said to them that Joseph is no more because of them, that they had deprived him of Joseph, is not clear. Whether somehow he found out what they'd done or maybe that it's because he thought, well, when he sent Joseph out to look for them uh, earlier on, that they actually should have been looking out for Joseph and protected him. Um, that they shouldn't have left Simeon behind. And now they want to take Benjamin. No, it ain't going to happen. It's not going to happen. And so the situation is bleak. 
but at least they now have some food for a while. Uh, friends, this famine was going to last for seven years. Two years of it had already elapsed, so it was another five years to go. And so when we come to chapter 43, uh, they've run out of food. And Jacob now has no choice. He has to risk losing Benjamin by sending Benjamin back with them. He has to risk the loss of Benjamin for the sake of saving his entire household. Uh, not just the sons, but the wives and the children and the servants and the whole household was at risk of starvation and so now he has no choice. So off they went again, second trip to Egypt. This time they're loaded with gifts for Joseph. They've also got Benjamin with them. They've got twice as much silver as they took the first time because they want to repay back the stuff that was put in their sacks. And this time, when they got to Memphis, they were treated to lunch at Joseph's private home. Now, that's a very unusual thing to happen for the governor of Egypt to say, well, come to my home and we'll have lunch together. And they were suspicious. They thought it was a trap in order to punish them for apparently stealing the silver the first time. But it was no trap. In fact, see how Joseph reacts when he meets his brother Benjamin. Uh, verse 29. Verse 29. Um, of chapter 42. Uh, 43. 43. That's it, yep. So verse 29 of chapter 43. They're in... Joseph's house there, and as he looked out and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. And then deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went to his private room and he, and he wept there. And, and after he had washed his face, he came out and controlling himself, he said, serve the food. And then something happened which was quite astonishing to the brothers because they were all sitting at a particular table. Joseph sat at another table. That was because it was repugnant for Egyptians to actually eat with um, Canaanites. And uh, so they're all sitting at this other table and as they're seated, they discovered that they were seated in descending order of their ages. And there's 11 of them. And they're thinking, this is freaky. How would anyone know what our age differences were? And so you can see that there's something starting to bubble through here in terms of Joseph's knowledge of who they are. And then they were loaded up with grain but again in chapter 44, verses 1 to 2, Joseph secretly arranged for all their silver to be placed back in their sacks and this time for his own personal silver cup to be secretly placed in the sack belonging to Benjamin. This time it is a trap because after they leave, he sends out his... 
his steward to go after them and to arrest them on suspicion of theft. Now, why would he do that? Again, we're not told explicitly. Uh, the punishment for theft would either be enslavement or death. And some say, well, maybe he wanted them to kind of squirm a bit and to feel what it feels like to be um, made a slave, possibly. Uh, maybe it's because he actually didn't want to lose them, that he knew that if they left this time that they may not be coming back and he wanted some reason for them not to leave. He wanted some reason to detain them because his old reality had returned and he did actually want to be with his brother Benjamin. Well, in chapter 45, having controlled himself all of this time, in chapter 45, with them in custody, he could not control himself any longer. And overcome with tears, he told them who he was. Chapter 45, pick it up at verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no, no more ploughing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. <clears throat> Can you imagine the emotion? It would be hard, wouldn't it? Well, we don't have to imagine too much. Down to verse 14. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and he wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all of his brothers and he wept over them. And afterwards his brothers talked with him. You know, many years, oh, and sorry, a few years ago, a number of years ago, also in Africa, uh, Ian and Karen Brunt and son-in-law Joshua was living at home with his family in Sierra Leone. Sierra Leone is a, not an easy country to live in and it was uh, at that time in turmoil. It was a time of civil war. And one day their house was surrounded by rebels and the rebels gave them a choice. The rebels said, come out of the house and face death by the bullet or stay in the house and face death by the, the flame. Well, as Joshua's family walked outside of the house, Joshua made a run for it and he escaped with his life. He found his way to a, a refugee camp and in time over the years, he eventually was accepted to come and to live in Australia as an orphan. And in Australia, he established 
a new life. He, he, left his own, his, he left his old reality of the death of his family behind and he made a new reality. He got educated. He obtained a university degree. He met a beautiful Christian girl who shared his faith. They got married, right here actually. <laughs> they had children, established a family and a, and a life in Australia. And he's now living this new reality, but with a touch of grief and sadness, even guilt that he was the one who ran. Until a couple of years ago, when one day the phone rang. It was the Red Cross. It was the Red Cross to say, Joshua, we found your family. We found your mother and your father and, and all of your brothers and most of your sisters. They did not die on that day. They're alive. You can speak to them. Let me put your mum on the phone. You can come over and you can see them and you can be reunited with them. And as soon as Joshua got that money together, he took off to Sierra Leone. Now, I want you to feel that. I want you to feel the, the emotion of that because when we start to think, feel the emotion of that, then perhaps we can start to feel the emotion of what Jacob felt when he was given some similar news about his beloved son, Joseph. Have a look at chapter 45, verse 25. Verse 25, it says, So the brothers, they went up out of Egypt and they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan and they told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is the ruler of all of Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything that Joseph had said to them and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry them back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. It's beautiful, isn't it? You see... What the brothers had meant for evil, even Joseph in verse 7 realised that God had used it for good so that all of the family of Jacob, the descendants of Abraham through the line of Isaac, all of these descendants were now brought into Egypt to live in plenty. Do you ever wonder if God is really in control of the world? You look around at the news items sometimes and you think, no, -uh. <laughs> but he is. He is. And here we see that although the brothers had been pushing against God in their sinful lives and what they did to Joseph, that although they were pushing against God, that God would use even their sin even their sin of selling their brother into slavery in order to bring about God's good plan and God's good purposes. The promised survival of the family of Abraham and the eventual establishment 
of the nation of Israel. The sin of man does not stop the plan of God. Now, isn't that what we kind of celebrate this Friday? Uh, Isn't the death of Jesus the ultimate example of that? Uh, In Acts chapter 2, and there's a passage from it printed on the back of your sheets there, in Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost addresses a crowd of people and in verses 22 through to 24, he says, Men of Israel, listen to this, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. And in the section in your sheets there, This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now, who put Jesus to death? Wicked men, but by the the set purpose and plan of God. You see that? God used their wickedness in order to achieve his good purpose, which was to pay for our sin, to save us from hell, and to create for himself a people who are the new Israel, the true Israel, those who, like Abraham, put their trust in the great promises of God which are found in the gospel. Friends, it is so important for us to grasp, not just in our heads but in our hearts as well, to grasp that God is always, always in control and that he loves us and he has a purpose. Uh, One day, Jesus picked up a coin. It, It was like, this one I'm holding in my hand. You can't see it, but it's, uh, it's called an Assyrian. Uh, in the short form, they call it an ass. Uh, in the Bible, it's usually translated as a penny. And it is not a very impressive coin. It's, uh, it's made of copper. Uh, this one's turned all green. Um, it's, not a very, it's not worth very much. Not at all. But Jesus said to his disciples, you know, with one of these coins, you can buy two sparrows. And did you know also that there's not one sparrow that drops from the ground that your heavenly father doesn't know about? He says, well, I'll tell you what. If God cares for the sparrows that much, then how much more do you reckon he cares for you? How much more? I reckon Joseph had good reason when he was languishing in an Egyptian dungeon to wonder if God cared for him and to wonder what God was doing in his life, to wonder if God was actually in control. And sometimes it's hard to see what God's doing in our own lives, isn't it? And when we feel overwhelmed by troubles, we need to cling on to 
that which God has revealed to us about himself in the pages of scripture and that is that he does not forget us, that he does love us and that if we are people who have the faith of Abraham, if we are people who trust in the great promises of God in the gospel, who trust in Jesus, then even through our troubles, God will be working out his good for us. Speaking to a lady at morning tea, I said, would you like to come to church camp next year? She said, I'd love to, but I can't. She she said, "My, my husband is not a believer and he's going into dementia she said, you know what, my life is actually demanding and limited. She said, you know, we've been married for 65 years. And I said, and 65 years ago, I think you might have said something which was along the lines of, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until we're parted by death, right? And she said, you betcha. I said, you know, you're struggling and it's difficult now, but what God is doing is he's working out his purposes in your life. And she said, he sure is, because he's faithful to me. He's faithful in that he gives me the strength to keep on being faithful in my marriage and serving my husband and doing the things which God wants me to do. And I said to her, you know what? And in your faith, in the faithfulness that God is giving you, that that is being shown to others. And God is being honoured. God is being glorified through that. God does not forget us. God loves us. God works out his purposes in and through us. And I want us to grasp hold of that. By the way, that church trivia night, Myself and the Orthodox Jew, we won the top prize and did our bit for hope in the Middle East, the hope of peace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you that you are a sovereign God, that uh, the sinfulness of man does not thwart your purposes, but in fact that you use our, even our sin to bring about your good plan and your good purpose as ultimately revealed to us in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We pray for ourselves, Father God, that we would grasp that reality in our, not just our minds, but our hearts as well. That uh, even in times of difficulty and suffering, that knowing that you are working your good in and through us, that we would be able to be joyful at all times. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.